Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. everybody. Hello and welcome uh, to one of our very first episodes of the Secrets of the High Demand Coach. And as I was working on this project, getting ready for the show, uh, thinking about who I'd love to have on the show, the very first name that came up every time I sat down to you know make a list or if I was you know doing my thing and, and coming up with a list in my head, the first person every time was my dear, dear friend and mentor, Les McEwen, who is with us here today. And uh, so, Les, I'd love to just open up for those of you who don't know you. Uh, I don't know how that's possible, but some people might not know you. And I'd love to just hear a little bit of your story, how you got into coaching, why you got into coaching and what that looks like today. Well, uh, and let me state right at the outset for all of uh, our viewers who got here by doing some sort of a keyword search. I'm not Les McEwen, the ex-front singer of the Bay City Rollers. Uh, that has uh, hounded me all my life. I'm the other one. So Les McEwen, founder, CEO of Predictable Success, author of Predictable Predictable, Predictable Success, uh, the synergist, do scale and do lead. Uh, and basically what I do is I help people grow their businesses. Awesome. Excellent. And uh, I know from our history that you spent some time as a, a CPA or the, the British equivalent of that. How did you decide to make the shift from that, that CPA role into coaching consulting like you do now? That was always, I think, the through line uh, for me, Scotty. I, I, I started training as a C, uh, chartered accountant. <clears throat> Actually, for two reasons. One uh, was as from a, a dirt poor, a, a blue collar family, and it seemed to me um, probably a good profession if I wanted to actually just earn some money. So there was that. But also, I, was, I had a fascination about business. I was a really weird kid. Never wanted to be a fireman. Didn't want to be a pilot. Didn't want to do any of the other gender normative or non normative things. I just had, sort of was fascinated by. I thought I was fascinated by business. As it turns out, now that I look back in retrospect, I was fascinated by people dynamics, but offices and what was happening in them uh, was really just a way in which I was sort of vaguely seeing that. And uh, my very first ever mentor, a wonderful man called Jim Johnson, still amazingly alive. I don't know how, it must be like 300 by now. I uh, told me if I wanted to get a good understanding, go study, either be a lawyer or uh, an accountant. And I, I, I chose to be an accountant. So when I was doing that and qualifying, and then for the first few years, when I put my own shingle out and practiced, it was really as a, as a sort of a way in to get to work with 
then businesses, for-profit businesses, which mostly what I was involved in these days, I do at least as much work. Well, that's not quite right. About somewhere between a third and a half of my work is with not-for-profits. Um, and the more that I worked with businesses, the more I got uh, just transfixed by what was going on. Uh, and I um, was very fortunate in my timing. Uh, I, I started all of this right at the peak of a massive drive. I mean, a huge drive towards uh, launching indigenous businesses in the UK uh, because we didn't have any. We were a, we were a branch. Of, I was living in the UK back then with a branch economy of, of uh, South Korea with Daewoo, Rocky Gold Star organizations like that, LG, and the US. <clears throat> so if Ford caught a cold, we'd lose 15,000 jobs in a plant at Leeds or somewhere like that. And so it was this huge drive to launch new businesses, uh, uh, very short. I got involved in that by advising people, helping them start up. I got a good reputation for that. People started to ask me if I'd be interested in, in joining them, being like a CEO, interim CEO, just be on their board, just be on the founding team. And over a space of about eight years, I basically got to cherry pick six or seven really good opportunities every year. Um, and so I arrived at age 35, uh, having uh, launched or helped launch 42 businesses. Wow. And as, a, as you, I think, have heard me say many times, even a dumb Irishman, and believe me, that's what I am, begins to see repetitive patterns when you do something that often. And that's what, that's what grabbed me was just seeing these early stage patterns. Excellent. So let's fast forward a little bit now. So you're a chartered accountant, you're working with businesses, love business in and out, uh, have uh, for some reason launched this massive number of organizations and you start seeing patterns emerge. And if we kind of fast forward a little while, tell us about how that ties into who you work with now. You even mentioned uh, just a moment ago, working in the nonprofit world, which I think is rare for folks to split that fence, working both in the for-profit and nonprofit world. What ties that all together? Uh, who do you work with? And what's the most important work that you, you would say you do with them? Well, what ties it together is that that <clears throat> work that I just described really uh, at that point gave me essentially uh, just a couple of development points. Then there are what are now the two first stages in um, the predictable success life cycle, early struggle and fun. Um, my later work with larger uh, uh, but still fast-growing organizations made me realize this this life, this was a life cycle. This wasn't just a couple of stages you had to work through. There's actually seven stages in the end. It looks like a um, an arc as if you lobbed a ball up in the air, uh, three growth stages, three decline stages, peak stage, predictable success. And I, I, I spent after the period I just talked to you about essentially 20 years um, just groping my way towards that model because I wasn't making anything up. I was basically trying to clear the brush to see the shape of the thing that was actually there. How do, as I thought at the time, businesses grow and start to decline? And why do they start to decline? So we arrive at uh, 1999, uh, moved to the US, spent a another few years proving out what I believe this model to be with very, very large organizations, Fortune 100 organization, write the book, Predictable Success, launch it. <clears throat> and then I start getting uh, emails and calls from people who are working in not-for-profits uh, who are buying the book, although I'd written it exclusively for a business audience, loving it. And then that's a moment of, duh, you know, Homer Simpson slapped the forehead, of course, I'm just talking about uh, organ uh, groups of people, uh, any group of two or more people trying to achieve 
uh, common goals. So it can be an organization of any sort, a for-profit, not-for-profit, doesn't really matter. And at that point, I sort of got agnostic from the point of view of what I was doing because I'd started having developed this model. I, I really was burnt out on, on, on just, you know, launching my own businesses over and over again. I always had a heart for teaching. Uh, and so I started to do that. I started to consult with people using this whole model. Uh, and as I just mentioned, uh, it, it, the, the, uh, not-for-profit faith and cause-based organizations that came to me. I did not go to it because I was not clever enough to realize that uh, at the time. But by 2010, uh, those types of organizations started uh, contacting me, and I started to get to speak at non-for-profit, non-business events. And we have a huge uh, and very avid following uh, in the not-for-profit world. That's great. Excellent. Now, I, I know lots about your predictable success model. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and we don't necessarily have time to go into it. So we can give some folks some resources on how to find more about the model. But what if you were to kind of boil it down, what is the problem that that model solves? That what got you here won't get you there, essentially, uh, which is uh, the title of a very good book by Marshall Goldsman. But uh, what everybody thinks uh, you need to get right to grow an organization uh, is usually uh, trapped in what are essentially secondary, in fact, probably tertiary level things like, you know, defining your market, getting your pricing right, you know, all, all the stuff that's the day-to-day -day stuff, because that's what we're dealing with every day. In fact, the biggest single barrier to growing any organization for profit or not for profit is recognizing that the very leadership skills that you need, that you, you, can't, you can't do without to get through the early struggle space, for example, uh, they are, are, are right for that time. And you can't and shouldn't do anything else. Time to talk about what they are. But you can think about a hard-driving visionary founder. But that, that, that builds synapses that, you, that most leaders get locked into. And then when the business or organization changes, their leadership style doesn't change with it. And therefore, they get trapped by their own success, reaching for the toolkit that solved things back then, but isn't solving anything here. So in, in the end of the day, I do a lot of stuff, but mostly it's focused on the four inches between a leader's ears. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, now, one of the things that uh, I know from being in the coaching space, from working with a lot of others, from being a CEO myself uh, and trying to grow a business is that we try lots of things that don't necessarily work. Uh, what are the things that, that, especially in this context of what got you here, won't get you there. What are the things that you see your clients trying before they ultimately decide to, hey, we can use less as help? Uh, the thing that they try most is more. So we, we grew really successfully for years by just saying yes to everything and somehow making it work. So let's do more of that. Uh, things are getting, you know, we, we seem to be losing our touch here. So we amp up the volume. We, we, we try to not just repeat, but amplify, <clears throat> excuse me, the things that, that got us here. Uh, so for example, uh, saying yes, saying yes to anything is absolutely hugely important uh, to get out of early struggle. Yeah. You can't get too picky uh, and fun. You want to say yes to everything because you're sort of in a monopoly game that, you know, that first go around the board where you buy everything. That's what that's like. So that, that's all good and right. 
But then a point comes, it's a growth stage we call whitewater, where actually you've got to get very strategic and disciplined about saying no. And that's really tough. I mean, there are, there, there are visionary founders that I know who can't get the word out. <laughs> they, can't, they can't say it. So, you know, we've got to find other phrases and terminologies to, to get them to do that. So that, that's a, a classic example is that, you know, we, we, one of the things we do very early, not very early on, but relatively early on in, in most of our businesses is we build a series of myths and legends because we say yes to everything and then somehow make it happen. In the somehow making it happen bit, we do incredible things. I mean, we really do. We, we, we punch way above our weight. And those myths and legends are perfect and right for the time. But they then they turn into repeated performance expectations. And we're now working in an, in an environment that's way too complex for us to use those myths and legends as actual repeatable tools. There are always lessons to be learned from them, but you can't just keep doing that. And so the ability to just to get disciplined about things is one of the hardest, hardest things for a successful visionary founder to do. Hi there, this is Scott Retirement. For over a decade as an entrepreneur, I thought coaching didn't work. I'd had some bad experiences with the wrong coaches and all that left me feeling like I had to figure it all out on my own. And while I wouldn't have admitted it back then, that was scary. It felt isolating and it left me constantly wondering what was around the next corner or when the shoe was going to drop. Then I found two great coaches and with their help and support, I discovered and implemented the predictable success model and my company tripled its profitability in a single year adding over a million dollars to our bottom line and now my team of scale architects and i get to enjoy the privilege of helping leaders like you achieve even greater results through our individual coaching and team acceleration programs if you'd like to scale your business or nonprofit, boost your profits build a strong leadership team or even simply become a better leader with less stress schedule your free 15-minute call with me at www.scalearchitects.com slash 15. That's scalearchitects.com slash one five. Now back to the show. Yeah. Okay. So that brings an interesting point. Uh, you mentioned a successful founder, right? So these aren't necessarily folks that are, are you know, most of us would see as struggling. Uh, and one of the, the kind of negative connotations uh, I've seen in the uh, market or with, with founders is this idea of if you get a coach, it's because you, you're, you're either not capable or, or you got something wrong, or it's, it's almost like you're fixing something that's broken, but we're talking about really successful people. So one of the questions that I have uh, for you and that I ask a lot is, uh, in your opinion, who needs a coach and why? Anybody that wants to develop you know, and it grow their own business or grow their own leadership uh, uh, skills. Uh, and, you know, as far as the why is concerned, it's just that none of, none of us are lacking a large area of what we don't know we don't know. So leaders have got a higher quadrant of things that they know they know than most other people, because that's self-awareness as a leader is an important thing. So here's something I really know I know. Maybe I really know marketing. Maybe I really know, maybe I launched a coding business and I used to be able to call it, and I really know that. Maybe I really know how to motivate people. Maybe I really know how to spot a, a market opportunity. 
And then there's a bunch of stuff that you know that you don't know. So like, I don't know, you know, maybe there's a leader sitting around somewhere saying, you know, we're getting into um, murky waters here. And I, I, I know I don't know enough about the legal side of this. I, I don't know about it. And I know I don't know about it. That's not really where the where coaching comes in. There are a lot of other ways to solve that. You can hire somebody uh, who does know about legal if you want to. Probably the worst solution, you can become a legal expert yourself. But you know you know it, so you just find a way to fix it. Where we all need coaches is because there's this huge area that we don't even know we don't know. And when you mm-hmm. think back on any highly tough year, it's almost always because you got hit by something you didn't know you didn't know. Because if you knew about it and it still caught you, that's on you, right? Even if you know you don't know. If you've been going around for a couple of years thinking, I really should know more about the legal implications of what I'm doing. You don't do anything about it. And then wham, you get a lawsuit to put you out of business. That's that's on you. You knew you didn't know about it. And you didn't do anything about it. But when something comes that you didn't, it, it, what? And it, uh, what a good coach will do is help you really narrow down the what you don't know, you don't know side of things by, for example, thinking through the implications of making decisions, by thinking through the way in which you're making decisions. So that's where I think uh, coaching uh, becomes most helpful is just having a guide to the parts of the map you haven't been on before. Yeah, that's such a great point. I remember again as I'm leading a company, the biggest company you know I'd ever been part of leadership in is the one that I'm leading, right? And uh, and just like totally making it up as I go. Uh, had the uh, unfortunate benefit or curse of doing that in my mid twenties, which I think made it quite a bit worse. Uh, and I remember you know it was very very resistant to to hiring a coach at first. And the very first coach I hired, a dear friend, he'll be on the show here uh, soon. But uh, he he we were talking about whether or not it would be a fit. And, and I remember telling him, I like, I know what's around this corner. Uh, I don't need help with what's going on right now. I'm sick of getting blindsided. feels right. like every time we figure out what's in front of us, there's something else behind it. And right. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And uh, to, you know, to be honest, the best tool I've ever seen for seeing around those corners is the predictable success model that you created. It does okay. such a phenomenal job at not only explaining what's going on right now, but giving us foresight into what's coming. So it's it's, it's obvious that that's a, a big part of what you do and how you do it in the work that you've created. It's it's you know easily one of the greatest benefits I've experienced using the model and walking others through it. It's phenomenal. Thank you. Now, uh, I've worked with lots of coaches and I know that one of the things that coaches, you know, coaches are really good at giving advice, right? Coaches are really good at seeing clearly in other people's businesses. They're not always the best at seeing clearly in their own business. And oftentimes they can forget to work on their own business because they spend all their time helping others work on theirs. So a question, how do you fight that? Uh, And two, what's the big thing that you're working on from a growth strategy uh, for you and your business? If you put your CEO hat on with us for a moment. Uh, Let me take your first question first. There's a saying in Scotland, the cobbler's barons are the last shod cobbler person makes shoes, barons, kids. So the the, um, shoemakers, kids are the last ones that get shoes. Uh, And it's certainly the case that whenever I was uh, a chartered accountant, for example, I was terrible at filing my taxes. It was it was dangerously bad, not because of any ill intent, but just, you know, spending all day, every day helping other people do that. It's the last thing you want to do for yourself. And, you know, there's this, there's a similar thing uh, where when you work in the world of coaching, now, I do a, a lot of consulting, a lot of public speaking and other things, but coaching is probably about half of my 
uh, life. And I, I, I did a very <clears throat> cheesy thing uh, some years ago, which is I invented a alter ego, another uh, personality. Uh, he has a name uh, and I picture him uh, and I'll, I'll be actually, uh, uh, he and I check in a couple of times a year and I'm on an overnight flight to the UK pretty much right after we uh, uh, record this uh, interview. Um, and it, I'm in a season where I need, I need to talk to Jim. Uh, so I, I'm going to talk to Jim. Uh, and that might sound stupid because how can you coach yourself first of all? And secondly, given all that I've just said, don't I need to be talking to somebody who's, um, you know, been in parts of the map that I haven't been to? Yes, I do. And I'm very fortunate that, and, and this is one of the great blessings of being a coach for a period of time and building your client base. They teach me that. I learn about the parts of the map I haven't been to working with my clients because just as I've been parts they haven't, they've been parts I haven't. What I need Jim for <clears throat> is to remind me of my North Star, keep me focused on what I'm here to do. It's so easy, uh, particularly as a de I'm a dedicated solopreneur. There's me and uh, an assistant you may hear from if the mailman comes during our interview here. And that's it. And it's very easy to lose sight of your priorities and get involved in busy work. I can sometimes stand up at the end of the day feeling I had a really good productive day and then realize all I've done stare at screens and move things around. I haven't really done much in getting me closer to what my personal mission is. So that leads really into the answer to your second question, which is uh, I, you know, I, I, I love the uh, interpersonal interaction that I have with my, with my clients, whether I'm consulting or coaching with them. And I can't imagine me ever not doing that. I'll probably die with my boots on, but um I also want what I've got because I actually agree with you. I don't want to sound uh, uh, arrogant, but uh, I, I didn't make this stuff up. I uncovered it and it is incredibly powerful. And I want to make it as available to as many people as possible. So uh, a combination of getting the message out uh, digitally uh, and on-demand type materials uh, is really uh, uh, one part of that focus. And the other is working with other people, other coaches, uh, through uh, largely through you to get that message out and to help other people be able to use the predictable success model as coaches that expands mm -hmm. the footprint and the impact. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, I appreciate the, the transparency with it, uh, the honesty with it. Uh, I think it's really powerful. Uh, it's a great exercise. Um, all right. I'd like to shift gears kind of one last time here as we, we get close to the end. And it's in many ways the moment we've all been waiting for. But uh, the show is called The Secrets of the High Demand Coach. And, and I know from our relationship that you meet that criteria in every way, shape and form. And I'd love to hear what, what would be if, if you were to boil kind of your expertise down to one thing that you could share with our audience today, what would be that one secret that you would share with them uh, with regards to helping, you know, often uh, these are founders, leaders, but helping them to grow their organization faster and freer than ever? Uh, well, I think there are two separate things going on here. One is <clears throat> what will help me grow my coaching business fastest? Uh, and the other is what will uh, help me be the best coach I can be. Um, and the two can diverge a little bit, 
the best way to grow your coaching business, which is this trick question that you asked me, is to be the best coach you can be and then add a lot of time. Just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate, and I mean what I'm about to say, to be sitting here, I'll be 66 week after next, and I've been doing this for almost 40 years. And that's, um, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm successful. I've just been doing it for so darn long and always trying to do it to the best of my ability. However, that, that's of no help to somebody who's at the other end of the 40-year right. uh, 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 tunnel. So what I would say is the mechanics of, of keeping yourself focused on being the best coach you can be are, first of all, don't ever coach somebody to get the check. One of the things that I, that I tell all my clients is a very mercenary point uh, is you will get the best possible coaching from me if you pay all my fee up front. Because then I have, no, I have no dog in the hunt. Yeah. You're not getting it back. So I'm going to be more helpful and, and, and honest to you when we come to the tough parts. Second thing is always go to the balcony by what you mean. Always abstract one level up after you're done. Every coaching interaction you have, there's a pattern in there somewhere. So you want to spend some time thinking, where did I hear that before? Where would that thing that we talked about fit in a bucket? Is that a communications issue that maybe a lot of leaders have? Always trying to, um, as a, a, a great uh, uh, leadership writer called Ron Ziegler, and he talks about going to the balcony, mm. uh, that you've got to be there dancing, doing the thing, but you've got to be able to get to the balcony. Uh, and the third thing I would say is, and I, I learned this belatedly, is uh, I guess one way to put it is, you know, always put your own face mask on before attempting to help others. Right. You've just got to look after yourself. I, I've been a better coach. I've probably been the best. I've probably done the best work I've done in my life in the last five years. And one of the reasons for that is I got my nutrition and my health into shape. Mm. Uh, and, and that made a huge difference, huge difference. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, now, I know some of our listeners would like help with you know, understanding what stage they're in, what that means, uh, understanding why what worked isn't working anymore. How can folks connect with you and learn more both about you and the model that you've created? Just go to predictablesuccess.com forward slash Scotty. S-C-O-T-T-I-E. And there'll be a free chapter from either predictable success or the synergist, whatever floats your boats. Uh, and uh, there are links to uh, contact me in every way possible, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, there's a direct form there, which if, if you've got a specific question coming off of our podcast, it comes directly to me. Uh, I don't have anybody um, uh, intermediating that and you'll get a response directly from me. That's great. I think we can explain that your assistant that may uh, make noise at the mailman is your dog, Blue. So I don't think Blue will be getting in way of, of folks trying to reach out to learn more, will he? No. Uh, I've, I've, I've tried pasting opposable thumbs on his front paws to see if he can type, but he can't. Well, excellent. Well, Les, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you so much for our friendship. Uh, it's been such an honor having you here, and uh, I wish you the absolute best. Thanks. Th thanks, everybody.
Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.